If you're an ex-evangelical, you spend a lot of time being reminded that you're inferior. And with all due respect, it's time to start replacing those messages with ones that build you up from the inside out. You weren't taught this as an evangelical. You weren't taught to have a good self-image. You were taught that you were basically garbage, a hopeless sinner in need of a savior. Once you come up with a plan for not just what you want, but how you're gonna get there, it all starts falling more into place. And it also becomes easier because you're not figuring it out as you go along as much as you're just following the plan. The idea here is that you face the things that the religion did to you and then breathe a sigh of relief that that's just not your life anymore. I said it last year, but it still holds true. Get to know you better because that doesn't take a week or a month or a year. It takes a literal lifetime and it isn't always easy to see what lies ahead when you're fixated on the rearview mirror. Welcome to Unbound, a podcast for new atheists and lifetime atheists, ex-evangelicals, truth seekers and free thinkers. There is life after faith. And life here is good. It's time for a new perspective. And a better conversation. I'm Spider. And I'm Shell. And And it's it's time time to get unbound. So Shell, do you have any New Year's resolutions yet? A couple. I mean... There's always at least one. Yeah, no need to share them specifically. I was just curious to yeah. see if you've actually thought about this. I have a few, and most of them should seem kind of obvious given everything that's happening around here. Yeah. They revolve around the business mostly, you know, how I can be a better instructor, a better boss, a little more patient in certain areas and situations, mm, yeah. a little bit more tolerant in certain areas and situations. I mean, I don't think that these are areas where I specifically lack but I think that they all have room for improvement, especially especially the boss part. You know, I've never been anyone's boss, and yet here I am. <laughs> and 2022 is going to challenge me a lot in that area, I think. But they're going to be good challenges. Yeah, And definitely. there's a lot more that I'm thinking about in terms of me that as we get into our main topic tonight, pretty much everything that I brainstormed and researched for this is also kind of targeted at me, yeah. you know, because we all need to think about some of the things that we're going to be talking mm-hmm. about a little bit later. I don't want to get too far ahead. By the way, I'm Spider. And I'm Shell. And tonight, it's New Year, No You 2.0, Living Unbound in 2022. And we're not just talking about being unbound from religion, but also from the things that keep us from being the people we could be if we stop listening to the voices in our heads that tell us we're unable or inferior or that we can't accomplish anything without ecclesiastical aid. You know, all the things that they make you think as part of that religion. And toward the end, I'll touch even more on the ways that we can deal with some of the trials and traumas that religion heaps on us. But before we get too far into that, Statues, Satanists, and a honking big tie that the Mormons can kiss goodbye forever. forever. It's CBB, the Set in Stone edition. <laughs> what have you got for us, Shell? Well, in early November of this year, the government of Oaxaca, Mexico, donated a statue to sit outside of the United Nations building in New York City. It's a unique fusion of eagle and jaguar. It symbolizes a guardian of security and peace. It's a beautiful and unusual sculpture. There's lots of colors in it, and it's very eye-catching. It makes you want to take a picture of it, and you also want to have a picture of you standing beside it. The Mexican ambassador to the UN stated in his message, 
with the purpose of demonstrating to the UN that Mexico has a powerful culture that can send messages through our artisans. And like 76 years ago, Mexico continues to be a guardian of international peace and security. Of course, anything good in the world is looked at by evangelicals as a harbinger of doom. As Hemet Mehta from the Friendly Atheist Substack says, they noted that Revelation 13.2 describes the beast as a leopard with feet like those of a bear and a mouth like that of a lion. This is not that. No, not at all. It's not even close. But it doesn't matter. When you're the type of person who sees Jesus in grilled cheese, it's not a stretch to see this statue as satanic. It's not a stretch for them to see anything as satanic. They no. can label anything satanic. They tried to tell us that the pretenders were satanic. I mean, let's think about the satanic panic. Yes. And all of the things that were just labeled satanic. Smurfs. Yeah. And My Little Pony. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Pretty much any cartoon out there. Oh, I yeah. had Definitely. I, I had heard some of them even go after the Pac-Man cartoon. Yeah. Because it had ghosts. Of course. Yeah. I mean, it just gets that ridiculous. I mean, yeah. we know this really, really well. But mm -hmm. they don't need a reason to no. stamp something satanic. No, All they, they have don't. to do is decide that it's satanic. And right. in their mind, it just becomes so. Yeah. Might I just point out that bare feet look awfully close to leopard feet? And what is the difference between a leopard mouth and a lion mouth? Beats me. Do these things actually look anything like each other? I mean, I had the I thought to look this up, but it was like right before we sat down. Yeah. And I'm like, do they actually look like each other? I mean... I don't think that bare feet look really close to leopard feet, but I'm also kind of like, it's statuary. Yeah. It's not a real animal. It's statuary. Right. It's ridiculous. I, this looks nothing like what they're describing in Revelation. So not leopard feet, not bare feet, just the feet of this thing. Yes. Okay. It's an eagle-jaguar hybrid. I, I mean, okay. It's basically a winged, winged jaguar. That's sounds what like, it is. Sounds almost like a griffin, actually. Yeah, it yeah. actually does. Mm-hmm. But where the evangelicals see smoke, you'll get Pastor Greg Locke in there to try and throw some gasoline on whatever fire is there to get attention. Of course. Of course. In a sermon to his congregation, he declared that he would go to New York City, climb up on the statue, pretend to ride it, and have someone film him preaching from it. Because, of course, he did. And he made this very public, so I'm guessing that there'll be police on site when he gets there anyway. If he goes. If he even bothers if to go. I mean, he, it could be all smoke, that's yeah. for sure. And here's his quote. I'm about to buy me some plane tickets to New York because I'm going to the statue and I'm going to get me a live Facebook video. I'm going to do it. God done told me I'm going to do it. I'm going to New York City, USA. I don't care what that masked up demon-possessed governor has to say about it. <laughs> I'm going to climb up on that leopard head and I'm going to preach to this nation that if we don't turn and if we don't repent, God is about to level the whole thing, ladies and gentlemen, because we're watching the Bible come to life. That's terrifying. We ain't got time to play games and mess around. We got to get busy for the kingdom of God. Say it, folks. I'm about to pitch a fit because the glory of God is rising in the nations. Well, glory, hallelujah, Greg Locke. I have seen very few of these guys that are as much into the attention-getting aspect of oh, this yeah. as he is. 
you know, even even Kat Kerr, you know, she's just kind of batshit. Yeah. I don't think that she does what she does necessarily for the attention, but this guy, I mean, oh man, what exactly is the point of doing any of that right. unless it's just to attract attention to yourself? Right. I mean, it's it's vanity. But is that vandalism? Would that be considered vandalism? It does kind of sound like vandalism to me. I don't know about vandalism, more trespassing. Yeah. Because it, he's not talking about um, defacing it or tearing it down or anything like that. Yeah. He's just going to get up on the thing and start preaching. And I'm so like, dude. not really vandalism. I'd say more just in the line of trespassing, being where he doesn't belong. I also don't think that he understands how big this thing might be. I don't know how big it is. I haven't really seen it, a scale picture of it, so I don't know how big it is. Might be a little big. I don't know. Maybe he can use the force. (laughs) Just sort of levitate onto it. Anyway, Locke talks a good game, but he's notoriously bad with follow through. Let's see if he does anything with this threat. Yeah, probably not. But it would be interesting if he did. I'd like to see just how it would pan out. And that's the, that's the sad truth of it, is that the way that he describes it now, it's like, yeah, I'd actually like to see this, but not for the reasons that he would want me to right. want to see this. And if I'm sitting here knowing what I know about him and knowing what I know about his religion, imagine what his followers must be thinking and how they must be ooing and aahing the prospect of him doing this. Oh, God. Because it piqued my interest. Yeah. Imagine what it's going to do to someone who takes him seriously. Oh, gosh. Well... In other religions behaving badly news, the richest man in Utah just quit the Mormon church. Oh my goodness. Yeah, this is kind of fun. Say goodbye to that money. Well, they've said goodbye to it for a while. But Jeff T. Green, a tech mogul in Utah who is worth $5 billion, has written and publicized his resignation letter to the Mormon church. Though he has not gone to church or tithed in over 10 years, he decided to make it public just recently. Oh, okay. So this is not brand new. No, not necessarily brand new, but he's finally officially sending the letter. I would be spitefully pleased if this was something that was happening right now so he could basically tell them to kiss his ass at Christmas time and take all that money away from them. Yeah. You know, is it wrong of me to be sitting here and wishing that that was what was happening here? I mean, it's been 10 years. Well, I mean, they won't be able to claim him as one of theirs. He's taking his name and his status and walking away with 12 of his family members. So Mm -hmm. it's a few people. Yeah, well, that's good. But just recently, he also joined a program called The Giving Pledge, where he promised to give away at least 90% of his wealth before he dies. That's kind of awesome. That alone is pretty impressive since that's a good bit of money, but his resignation from the Mormon church is even more so since he's leaving with over a dozen of his family members. The Salt Lake Tribune has the text of his resignation letter. And here is a quote. Um, Although I have deep love for many Mormons and gratitude for many things that have come into my life through Mormonism, I have not considered myself a member for many years, and I'd like to make clear to you and others that I am not a member. This is in a letter to President Russell M. Nelson. While I left the Mormon Church more than a decade ago, not believing, attending, or practicing, I have not officially requested the removal of my records until now. 
While most members are good people trying to do right, I believe that the church is actively and currently doing harm in the world. The church leadership is not honest about its history, its finances, and its advocacy, he writes. I believe the Mormon church has hindered global progress in women's rights, civil rights and racial equality, and LGBTQ plus rights. His former faith should be doing more to help the world and its members with its wealth, Green writes. Instead, I think the church has exploited its members and their need for hope to build temples, build shopping malls, and cattle ranches, fund Ensign Peak Advisors investment funds, and own mortgage-backed securities rather than alleviating human suffering in or out of the church. He's already begun putting his money where his mouth is. His first large donation was to Equality Utah, and he designated half of the $600,000 donation to go to a scholarship program to help LGBTQ plus students in Utah, including those who may need or want to leave BYU. Oh, that is like so awesome. It I, really I love is. It. Every last part of that. Yeah. I really like it. I'm really interested to see what else he supports. At any rate, he can only do better than the Mormon church, that's for sure. So we got Christians behaving badly, but also ex-Mormons behaving really, really well. Yes. That's kind of awesome. And I don't know about the whole other religion news, because I still consider the Mormons as part of evangelicalism. Yeah, they're very evangelical. They are. And, you know, to me, it's just another flavor, because when you look at, say, the difference between Baptists and Pentecostals, yeah. there's a huge divide there, too. So I look at things like Mormonism and, and the Jehovah's Witnesses as just different flavors of the same hypocrisy anyway. True. So, yeah. But, no, this was, this was kind of more of a uh, ex-Mormon living unbound and doing good things yes. with the money that he has. That, uh, that's what I got from that. But... We got one more. We got and one more. It involves one of my favorite organizations out there. So let's hear our next little statue story here. Oh my God, this is this is so awesome. <laughs> this is so awesome. And in reason for the season news, the Satanic Temple in Illinois has always been involved in Christmas time in one way or another. In previous years, they have erected a snaktivity display. <laughs> I love it. It's a sculpture depicting a woman's hand holding an apple with a snake twining around it with the phrase, knowledge is the greatest gift engraved below it. This year, they've chosen to go a different way. While nativity scenes, menorahs, and other symbols of the season fill the Capitol Rotunda, the Satanists contributed a swaddled, adorable baby Baphomet <laughs> who is given all due pomp and circumstance with a ceremony and the following invocation, which I, is I'm going to try and stay awesome. away from my mic while you're reading this because this is just so priceless. And I'm not laughing at it. I'm just laughing at the audacity of it, the sheer marvelous, splendid, magnificent audacity of it. We are chortling with joy. Oh, absolutely. So I'm going to sit back a little bit here and you're going to read this. This is so good. Today we gather to welcome satanic enlightenment into the Illinois State House and into the heartland of the United States. Welcome, young Baphomet, symbol of our rapidly growing temple. Welcome, thou shaky but rising beast. Welcome, thou cloven-hooved liberator. We invite you today to bring wisdom, justice, and rationality to these chambers. 
equality, tolerance, compassion, empathy, critical thinking, personal liberty, the pursuit of knowledge, and the separation of church and state. These are the ideals America's founding rebels fought for. The Satanic Temple enshrines these values in our tenets and carries the founders' noble fight into the future. That is just so much awesome. It really is. It goes on. It's longer. Oh, my goodness. So there's like a whole big, long ceremony. And that's so. is that all in the link that you sent me? Yeah. Okay, so it's that's going to be in the show notes. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. Now you may ask, why do this? And the real answer is, why not? Yeah, I know, right? Why the fuck not? Really? The Capitol welcomes a diverse range of religions every year to display holiday statues during the holiday season, so we wanted to join in on that. I mean, and that's it. You don't need any other reason. No, no. You just want to join in. But yes, that's all the reason one needs. It's a display that hurts no one and should start important discussions and infuriate all the right people. For instance, the Catholics were particularly bothered. Oh, who gives a fuck what bothers the Catholics? <laughs> you know what bothers me? Priests that touch little boys. That bothers me. Yeah, so I know. Let's, let's talk about this little minor irritation of theirs. Yes. The Catholic bishop John Paparaki opined that Satanism should have no place in this capital or any other place. Neither should pedophilia. Yeah, right? Dude, they filed the official paperwork. The display was approved. Not sure it's any of his business. Oh, I am. And it's not. (laughs) Yeah. Nathan Maddox, an attorney who advises the state on holiday displays, even wrote a letter for the State Journal Register in which he defended the satanic display. I do not want to be able to tell someone their beliefs are offensive and may not be expressed in the Capitol building, nor do I want to live in a country where government officials have such power. I suggest the good bishop give a little more thought to his desire to live in a country where governments can rule on the legitimacy of religious beliefs. No shit. There are a number of such countries in the world, and in many of them, Christianity is banned. Still, many Catholic groups and mega-cultists tried to drown out the publicity with protests and banners, saying that Satan has no rights, and be gone, Satan, Mary crushes the serpent, or free speech doesn't apply to people I disagree with, which is more to the point. And that's the mantra of most evangelical rhetoric anyway. Yeah. It's like, if it disagrees with us, then it's either satanic or just inappropriate. Oh, if they don't want to go that far. Yeah. Yeah. And just flat out wrong. Yeah. If it's something they disagree with. So, yeah. yeah. I'm sorry. The thought of baby Baphomet just fills me with joy. It does, doesn't it? It's I mean, great. I start thinking of Chibi Baphomet. Right, but it's not. It's is, definitely not. It's, it's definitely... Oh, God, no, it is so it, not. It is so not Chibi. No. I mean, it's sort of adorable, but sort of horrifying at the same time. Which scary. is what... The essence and spirit of Baphomet is supposed to be. I, right. I feel like there's an aesthetic quality to it, but also kind of a foreboding yes. quality to the uh, to the symbolism and to the presentation yeah. of Baphomet. So, you know, a baby Baphomet should also embody those characteristics. Right. And 
again, Satanic Temple, I really, really do back these people. Oh, yeah, definitely. You know, if we were if we were one of these ma- massive podcasts that was bringing in all kinds of money, they would be on my donation list. Oh, they definitely. would be one of the groups that we support. You know, with, without any doubt, I would be giving them some money and, and giving them some support. And speaking of giving money and support to good causes, our Patreon is active at patreon.com slash Unbound Podcast Network. If you've got a fiver you can throw our way, we will put it to good use in the upcoming year and do whatever we can to keep making this show better for you and for the people who have yet to discover it and for the people who have yet to find themselves getting and staying unbound because of it. And these are all things that you can help with, both with your dollars and also with things like your five-star ratings, your likes, your shares, your reviews, your positive reviews, all of these things that make podcasts grow. And like I say every week, tell someone new about the show this week, introduce someone who needs this messaging to the messaging, recommend an episode or two, knowing what you know about them, link out to episodes in social media conversations. Just take those couple of minutes to do something to help us get this message in front of more people. And in my opinion, that is every bit as important as money, but we do need your dollars as well. So one more time, patreon.com slash unbound podcast network is where you can go to make a donation. We thank you in advance. We thank everyone who comes back every week just to see what we're going to say next. And we got a lot to say coming up in the new year, beginning with the episode that's going to usher in 2022 for this show our review of the movie Saved, which is coming next week. We really do hope that you'll come back for that. The movie episodes have done well. Uh, Right now, our episode on Dogma is officially the second most popular episode (laughs) that we've done on this show. And I'm really proud of that. It tells me that uh, it's the kind of change of pace that some people really, really like with this show. And we're going to be doing more content like that. We've already done The Witch. We've done dogma now we're going to do saved yes and if you've never seen the movie saved it's out there it's streamable and there are other sources that you can get it it's nowhere near as difficult to come across as dogma so if you've never seen it watch it before our next episode you'll be glad you did it's a really really good movie and we're going to look at it scene by scene like we've done with the others and come up with some good points to ponder and this one in particular brings up a lot of good points to ponder Definitely. just from the uh, from the standpoint of human experience the things that we go through when we have tough decisions to make what it's like to be evangelical and gay what it's like to be evangelical and disabled or just, you know, the one with the bad rep. There's a lot going on in this movie, and I'm really excited to be able to pick it apart and do our uh, review of that for you guys next week. So with all of that in mind, let's get right back into our conversation about New Year's resolutions, because I think we can move past the cliches with this and give you guys some good ammo to not only make good ones, but also keep them. And that would be an accomplishment. It would be an accomplishment for me. But I think that we've got some good stuff to say. So since I'm already talking about it, let's just dive right in. So question number one is, is there a point to making New Year's resolutions? And the answer is, like with a lot of things in life, it depends. New Year's resolutions may seem a bit cliche, but in reality, they're actually a good idea when you approach them from the right perspective. Most approach them from the perspective of cliche, and that's all they ever are. The notion of 2022 being your year 
is a prime example. That's why we need to think beyond nebulous concepts and get specific with ourselves about what we want our life to look like this time next year. So to make or not to make those resolutions, that is the question. And Dr. Glenn Miller apparently was in the mood to orchestrate his own blog, and he seems to have some sound opinions on this subject. I wonder how many people are going to get that joke. I, I don't really, know. It's kind of... I really just showed my age. Yeah, right. I really, really showed my... I showed my grandparents' age. Yes. Okay. <laughs> but uh, he's a blogger that I found in the course of my research, and I really like his take on this subject. He starts out by outlining why New Year's resolutions are a good idea. And to paraphrase, to really, really paraphrase, because I'd much prefer that you read this article than I read it to you, there are three things that he outlines as being good reasons to develop New Year's resolutions and attempt to keep them. First, he says they set up personal challenges, which is true. They make us take inventory of our lives at this moment and identify points of necessary change. And they signify that we see the flaws in ourselves and make us want to do something about them. So... Why do people decide not to make them? Well, because they set up personal challenges. They make us take inventory of our lives at this moment and identify points of necessary change. And they signify that we see the flaws in ourselves and make us want to do something about them. You see, all the things that make them good ideas are also the things that repel people. There are a lot of people out there that just don't want the responsibility that comes along with the resolution. And you know what? I get that. I really do. Because as a species, we are very resistant to change. We really, really, really like our comfort zones. We don't like to do personal assessments. I've talked before about the first night on a VN where they hand you a mirror and for 30 seconds you just have to look at yourself. It's more difficult than you might think, mostly because of the thoughts that start running through your head when you're looking at that image of yourself. And it's kind of the same type of thing with this. You may not be looking directly into a mirror, but you are making that same kind of personal assessment. And for a lot of people, that's really, really uncomfortable. But here's the thing. Without those personal assessments, we never get anywhere. New Year's resolutions are actually a good psychological tool to push us forward when they are planned and executed properly. And with that, let's look at why they tend to fail. Most resolutions fail for several key reasons. They revolve around goals that are unrealistic. You know, I resolve to buy one scratch ticket a week until I hit win for life. Well, you know, good luck with that. They put too many demands on our time, our emotions. You know, I think about resolutions like I'm going to stop thinking about my ex and move on once and for all. <laughs> okay, you might as well just tell yourself not to think about pink elephants mm. because it's going to have all the effect. People tend to get overwhelmed and give up, especially when they make this laundry list of resolutions. And now it's like, where do I even begin? And a lot of times people enter into this without any real plan. They'll make resolutions like, I'm going to go to the gym every single day. Well, that's great. But now where is the time going to come from? And when you figure out that you probably can't do that every single day, well, that was the resolution. So now the whole thing just goes completely out the window. Right. And they also fail because the reasons for making them aren't well-defined or they're based in some of those cliches that we mentioned. And honestly, that covers most of the basic ones that people gravitate toward. 
And all of these have made multiple lists of top New Year's resolutions that people make, and all of them without a plan are recipes for failure. Things like losing weight or going on a diet, finding the love of your life, finding a better job, making more time for yourself and your hobbies and your likes and blah, 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 quitting smoking, exercising more, saving more money for retirement. Now, the problem with these is that at face value, they lack any real substance and people almost never devise a workable plan to accomplish any of them. They'll buy a gym membership and they won't go. They'll dust off their OkCupid profiles but never make an effort to meet someone. They'll keep hitting the alarm in the morning and going to a job that they hate. You know, you get the idea. We will revisit a couple of these as we go because it's not all cliche, but I want us to gravitate away from nebulous concepts and focus on the ones that have more substance and clarity built into them. In my opinion, this is where it starts. And, you know, even as I typed this, it seemed a little cringy and it seemed a little cliche, but just stay with me. Give me a couple of minutes here. Where it starts for me is examining the question of who am I? And yeah, I mean, it, even just sitting here, it's just going off in my head. That's very cliche. And yes, the concept might seem a little bit so, but it actually is foundational to most resolutions, particularly the ones that actually lead somewhere. Who am I now and who do I want to be a year from now? It's a question that can actually lead to some very productive brainstorming. Also, as I typed that, I started thinking of the essay the kids were supposed to write in the breakfast club. Mm. And at 50 years old, I now understand just how impossible it would have been for teenagers to answer that question, let alone come up with a thousand words worth on it. Why? Because I'm not sure I've figured it out yet more than three of their lifetimes later. What I do know is that I have a clearer picture in my head of who I am now than I did while I was busy decreasing so Christ could increase. That I know for sure. I also know that the answer to that question changes and evolves over time. I'm not the same person I was when we started this show. Mm. So much has changed in just the last two years. And, you know, so many things have happened that the answer to the question, who am I from December of 2019, when we did episode one, is pretty much irrelevant at the end of 2021. In 2019, I worked at a marijuana dispensary. In 2021, I own a driving school. In 2019, I saw what I was doing at the dispensary as a valuable community service, destigmatizing and educating people about the benefits of medical marijuana. But at the end of 2021, I'm not sure how medically beneficial it really is. And I think what I'm doing now is a far greater and more sustainable community service than selling pre-rolls to rude old men, which was 90% of my job at the yeah. dispensary. And while I still think weed should be legal and accessible, I find it liberating to be able to talk to students about its effects on the body, not just from a textbook, but from experience and educate them to the dangers of driving high. So now I've already established that it's difficult at any age to just answer the who am I question off the cuff. So here are some steps that I think will help all of us unblur the lines a little and make some good resolutions for 2022. Number one, take a self-image inventory. And what that means is to do that self-assessment that we were just talking about. It doesn't have to be scripted. It doesn't have to come from a website. It can just come from you and the things that you think are most important about you. Would you say that you have a good self-image? 
it's important to be honest here. You weren't taught this as an evangelical. You weren't taught to have a good self-image. You were taught that you were basically garbage, a hopeless sinner in need of a savior. And if you grew up with that, especially from early childhood, it's okay to have issues in this area. So even if it turns out to be negative at first, if your self-image inventory has a lot of negatives associated with it, just lay it all out on the table, at least mentally, and start sorting through the details. Don't run away from them because they're important. Now, if you already have a good self-image, or at least one that is better than when you were an evangelical, great. You're very lucky and also probably very committed to shaking off the weight your faith heaped on you. Knowing what free indeed really means can be very liberating. Spoiler alert, it has nothing to do with what the Bible thinks it means. Yeah. And regardless of which way your self-image inventory leans, you can and should be able to pull off this next one. Figure out at least five things that you like about you. Be honest. It's okay to like yourself. And that's another thing that we're not taught to do. Right. And it's okay to have a healthy sense of pride. If you're not there yet, if you just can't reach that point within yourself yet, that's also okay. If you're an ex-evangelical, you spend a lot of time being reminded that you're inferior. And with all due respect, it's time to start replacing those messages with ones that build you up from the inside out. I mean, I've had a rough couple of years but even I can sit there and right off the top of my head, I can think of five things that I like about me. Then the next one follows right along with it. Find five things that you like about your life. And honestly, if you can pull off the last one, this one should be easy because the things that you do and the people you surround yourself with, what you do for work, however you want to define your life, whatever that encapsulates inside your head, it should be pretty easy to find things that you like if you can find five things you like about yourself. But now let's let the other side have the floor for just a minute. What are some of the things that you dislike about you or your life? Because, you know, it's okay to have those things too. And exploring them is important. Don't shun the negatives, okay? It's not that you want to dwell on them, but you want to give them the floor. This is precisely what I learned in anger management when it came down to me being able to let my intellect and my emotions sit down and have a chat with each other. It was this basic concept too. I had to face the things that I didn't like about myself. And some of them were things that legit needed to be changed or removed from the equation, but the vast majority were just things that needed to be able to have their say in a more productive way. Right. So the negatives aren't always negatives. A lot of times you can turn them positive. And on the heels of that, you, you also want to ask yourself why you don't like those things. Are you a victim of distorted thinking? Because you know what? Religion can do that to you, and here's how. These are all examples of what are called cognitive distortions. And as I was reading through this article, I could find parallels to my faith experiences in almost all of these things. Mm -hmm. uh, this isn't their entire list. These are the ones that I kind of picked out. But here are some examples of cognitive distortions. Polarized or black and white thinking. This is kind of foundational to evangelical thought. Right. Everything is black and white. And I've been accused in the past of being a black and white thinker. And, you know, the person who said that to me most recently was definitely right. I feel like I've gotten better at this just in the last couple of years, too. But it's very true. And I know that it's still very much part of the way that I think. And I'm working to change that because, you know, you don't want to have those kinds of polarized thoughts. 
but spend enough time in evangelicalism and you're going to develop them. It's just that simple. Then there's the concept of overgeneralization, where you convince yourself of things like that you can't be a good Christian because you keep committing the same so-called sins. And that kind of thinking can extend into your post-religious life in a number of ways, not just from the standpoint of your behavior or your quote-unquote sins, but in all manners and aspects of life. It can wrap its tendrils around every part of your experience of life and start making you think about things in a way that just doesn't lead to personal growth at all. Then there is the concept of catastrophizing. This is part of a lot of different things like autism right. and other conditions like that. So maybe not necessarily a bad thing, but something that if it's part of your personality, if it's part of the way that you think, then maybe getting some help with redirecting some of those thoughts would be a good idea. But for those who are not in the know, catastrophizing is basically a... Uh, consistent fixation on the worst case scenario. For the evangelical, this can attach itself to things like fear of loved ones going to hell and other horrific things that they teach you to believe. Mm. In post-religious life terms, it can keep us closeted from certain people about our non-religious views or other aspects of life as well. Right. Then there's taking everything personally or getting offended by everything. I mean, if this isn't you five years into your evangelical life, then you're doing it wrong, okay? <laughs> yeah. Evangelicals love, I absolutely believe that they get a rise out of being offended by yeah. things. Then there's mental filtering, removing all positives from the equation and only seeing the negatives. This is why I'm saying that it's important to put the negatives out on the table because you have to see them in context with the good as well. Then there's emotional reasoning letting your emotions run a train on things that should be left to your intellect to manage. And boy, oh boy, mm. can the spider relate to that one. Yeah. And then there's labeling, which in evangelical terms amounts to basically being judgmental. And you don't have to be evangelical to be judgmental, but I'll tell you, they've kind of cornered the market on it. So now that we've kind of laid all of that out with the self-assessment type of things, right. you know what actually works well for a lot of people is asking your significant other or other significant people in your life to describe you in their words and preferably in writing. I've seen this done a few times. Yeah, It's done a lot in marriage counseling mm. and it's done in other contexts as well to help people who have self-esteem issues or to help resolve conflicts within relationships. And there are different applications for this. And you might look at it as a form of confirmation bias but in certain instances, there are people in your life who matter and there are people in your life who don't. Mm. So gravitating toward the people who matter for this kind of assessment of you, I don't see anything really wrong with that. Right. I think that we do a good enough job as human beings of applying the point-counterpoint within our own heads without just walking into the lion's den and asking our worst enemy for an assessment of us. Yeah. <laughs> so That's so funny. in this instance, I think that it's healthy to gravitate toward people who will say good things because it will help to amplify those things that we already know about ourselves to be good or you know that we have this inkling are good. And now we've got this affirmation that what we think about ourselves is right and that it's legit because other people see it too. Next, set some achievable goals. 
And we'll talk a little bit more in depth about the whole achievable goals thing in a little while. So I'm going to leave that there for right now. The next thing that you want to uh, focus in on here is exploring the impact that your religion had on you. And I say that with just a little bit of trepidation, and I'm going to add this caveat. Be careful. Don't fall into a big hole of self-deprecation or regret over this one. The idea here is that you face the things that the religion did to you and then breathe a sigh of relief that that's just not your life anymore. So in the course of things with this one, you want to take some time to just be grateful that somehow, some way, you got out. And also revel, absolutely revel in the fact that the rest of your life is yours to do with as you wish, with no fear of hell. Yes, that's always good. Yes, and with only yourself to answer to for your moral choices, and with only you to determine what even is moral in the first place. I mean, there are certain absolutes, you know, we don't go around raping and killing people. That's not up for question or discussion or debate. But there are so many gray areas when it comes to morals and ethics that it's always going to be a personal thing. Even if you are part of a specific religion, it's always going to be a personal thing. The religion is not going to stop you from doing certain things. And that's just the way that it is. The next thing that you can zero in on here is developing the strengths that you know you have or just learning a new skill. And I think that this one is an important one for pretty much everyone. Number one, knowing what you're good at makes it easier to come up with that list of things that you like about yourself. Right. And also learning and constantly developing new skills, that keeps your brain not necessarily young, but definitely active. And it helps you to feel like you're accomplishing things with your thoughts. And when I'm not learning something new, my brain stagnates. This is why, even though it's kind of been a stressful transition, I am really, really, really loving running this driving school because I'm learning new things every single day that I I always knew that there was more to it than what I saw as an instructor. Mm -hmm. But the sheer number of things that I have to know and be on top of to make this work. It really was an eye-opener to me when I started, when I took on all that responsibility. But let me tell you, it's really, really good for my brain because I'm learning new stuff every day and I'm learning how to do things better and more proficiently every day. So that's a really, really good one to hone in on when you're thinking about New Year's resolutions is what your strengths are right now and where do you want to be in terms of what you feed your brain at the end of this year. And along those lines, the next step here is creating a plan for self-growth, which, you know, really kind of falls in lockstep with answering the whole who am I question. But this kind of takes all the things that we've talked about so far and lays them right out on the table and says, okay, now let's organize all of this. So once you come up with a plan for not just what you want, but how you're going to get there, it all starts falling more into place. And it also becomes easier because you're not figuring it out as you go along as much as you're just following the plan. Here's a difficult one for a lot of people. In the upcoming year, consider stepping away from social media sometimes. Mm. Leave your phone at home and take a walk. I think I brought this one. I don't even know if it was our New Year's episode last year, but I know I've brought it up. Get on YouTube and just type in the search field, look up. And I'm pretty sure it's the very first thing that comes up. It's an amazing video that talks about just what we're missing out on by living our entire lives through screens. So yeah, put the phone down once in a while, look up. 
and just see the world around you. Just get untethered from the phone. You know, get unbound from your phone mm-hmm. just a little bit. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because it's important. You know, Michelle and I remember a world that didn't have these things. <laughs> and we remember when social networking meant knocking on doors until you had enough kids for a kickball game. Right. So, you know, that's these are the types of things that we need to start thinking about a little bit more. The way that we interact as human beings. Maybe, you know, even take your significant other out for dinner and leave the phones in the car. Imagine that. <laughs> Just think along those lines a little bit. But that first half, I think, is really super duper important. Just try and step away from social media sometimes. And please, please, please stop getting your news from social media. Yeah. Please. That's a huge part of the problem right now, especially in our society in, in the States. It's it's a huge part of the problem is that people are getting information from bad sources. Maybe that could be part of your resolutions, too, is to make sure that you're putting good things in your brain and developing opinions about things based on good sources. This next one I kind of found to be, you know, it's another one of those kind of cringy sort of ones because it has a cliche sort of feeling about it. But especially in, in poly circles, in polyamorous circles, the concept of your love language is a huge conversation point. And honestly, I don't know if I've completely and totally figured out what mine is. Yeah, I can't because mine kind of, you know, it, it has aspects to a lot of these, but you know, even, you know, maybe this could be one for the spider for this year, is to really figure out what the epicenter of it actually is. But these are the things that are defined as love languages. Gift giving, acts of service, quality time, just that craving of quality time or wanting to be part of someone's situation in a meaningful way. Words of affirmation, physical touch, communication, and expression of affection and love. So maybe if you're one of these people who's having a hard time trying to figure out five things that you like about yourself, well, maybe you can look at how you love as part of that and see if you can draw something from that list, figure out, you know, that just that one little piece of the puzzle of who am I, because I would love to figure it out because I think there is more than one here that applies to me. I think that mine's got to be a hybrid of some kind, (laughs) but I haven't really sat down and taken the time to think about it as much as I probably should have by now. Next, think about you once in a while. It's okay. It's okay. You're done decreasing so something else can increase, okay? That's done now. Take care of yourself and take care of yourself first. It's very important. It's very important that we all start seeing ourselves as worthy of things like personal time Mm -hmm. and being loved back by the people who we love. It doesn't all have to be a one-way thing. There's also nothing wrong with distancing yourself from people that you know you're never going to love or like or anything like that. But think about you. Think about how all of these things impact you because it matters. Your ability to be happy hinges on you giving yourself the room to move within your own emotions and giving yourself the opportunity to do things that you like to do, be around people that you like to be around, and just do things that affirm life in terms of how you view it and how you live it. And right along those lines, do stuff that you enjoy. 
and I know we're, we're getting back into the whole time management and mm-hmm. adding hours to your day thing here, but it's really important, even if it's only like an hour out of your week or two, if you can't do an entire day, then find some time in your week to do something that you enjoy. You know, take up a new video game, take uh, pick up a new book, go somewhere that you've, you know, that's close to home that you've thought for years, you know, we've lived here for so long and we've never done this. Well, you know, think about doing it. Like, just for the sake of example, this was the first year that I actually went to one of our state parks, which is... 10 minutes from home and we've lived here for 11 years. Yeah. So yeah, there's that. You want to uh, experience some new things and get some new time and do something that you enjoy, whether it's by yourself or with someone else or with a group of people, just purpose to do stuff for you this year. And also on the heels of that, they all just sort of start melding together here. But another thing that you can do is uh, resolve to make some new friends Get some people around you who can affirm the things about you that you like, the good in how you live your life and how nice it is being able to just be you and also accept others for who they are, not on the basis of what they believe. Yeah. Very important because as evangelicals, that's kind of the litmus test for whether or not you want to be friends with someone, whether whether or not you want to date someone, yeah. what do they believe? You know, do they believe what I believe or are they just going to be a hindrance to my faith? Those days are over. You don't have to consider that when you're considering whether or not you're going to hang out with somebody. And that one also meshes nicely with the whole, you know, get someone that you know likes you to write some kind of an affirmation for you. And based on that, you can take some of those things that you find being affirmed about yourself and develop the confidence necessary to go out there and actually put yourself in front of some new people this year. Right. It's it's not something that I find to be easy myself, mm. but I'm also learning that when I'm moving in the right circles, it's not difficult to make new friends and to find people that I like being around. So think about that in the upcoming year. Think about possibly bringing some more people into your life. Not necessarily, you know, in, I know we we're in the middle of an ongoing pandemic and things are surging again. It might not be the best of ideas to be joining social groups at this point. Uh, meetup groups or anything like that, but there are other ways to meet people and there are other ways to interact. Remember that you are unique. That's a really, really important one. And it really does encapsulate the whole who am I thing because everybody's answer to that question is not going to be just a little different, but drastically different. Regardless of how alike two people are, the things that shape them are typically going to be very, very different. So Think about that. Think about your uniqueness in this universe. There's only one you in this entire vast universe. And the sheer unlikelihood that you would even be here in the first place. You are truly unique. And you need to start thinking about yourself in those kinds of unique individual terms. And this is especially important for ex-evangelicals because individuality is simply not something that is encouraged in evangelicalism, even though they try to tell you that it is. They will tell you that you have identity in Christ, but if you don't adhere to their rules and their way of doing things and their way of thinking, then you don't really have that identity. They're not trying to give you an identity. They're trying to get you to assume the one that they want you to have. So 
keep your uniqueness and your individuality in mind because these things are important and they'll help you get further along with achieving the goals that you're setting and creating for yourself for this year. Next, remember how far you have come. Downplaying personal accomplishments is also big in evangelical thought. So please don't buy it. Learning how to think differently than they do is major, especially if you've been in for a long time. Getting out and staying out is major, especially if you've been in for a long time. Think about how you used to think as an evangelical, and then think about how you think right now. It can be a little embarrassing, at least for me. I know it is. It can be a little embarrassing to think about some of the things that we used to believe, the ways that we used to think, the things that we used to say, oh God, especially the things that we used to say. But the fact that it's a little cringeworthy is just proof that you've learned to think better. Give yourself credit where it's due because you have come a long way, baby, and you have a lot to be proud of. Getting out and doing your best to stay out, even if you look over your shoulder once in a while, we all do it, okay? You're out. You made the decision, and even if it needles at you a little bit, to uh, to go back once in a while. We talked about this a few weeks ago. It's completely normal and it does get easier over time. Next on my list, learn. And it was like a one word sort of thing. Learn, that's it. Just learn and resolve to never stop. What's your thing? Maybe you've always wanted to learn how to play chess. Just a shot in the dark example here. So you know what? Do it. It's not that difficult. Playing well is difficult, but <laughs> learning how to play is not. Or, you know, any game for that matter, especially ones that require a little thought. Those are the most fun. There are other things, too. You Have you got a subject that you wish you knew more about? Well, you know what? You can start learning it right now. The internet is a big place. You don't have to go to college. Yeah. Do it independently. Or, you know what? You can take a class. That's a thing, too. Develop a new skill. You know, just what we were talking about a few minutes ago. Keep the brain active. Give it things to do. Put new things in it. It wants new things. So give your brain what it wants. Keep it in learn mode no matter what. Evangelicalism teaches your brain to be lazy. But your brain wants to work. Your brain wants to expand. Your brain wants to know things. So give it work to do. Give it work to do. You will not regret it. Lastly, on my exhaustive list of ways that you can start developing good New Year's resolutions is to plot out a clear direction for your life that revolves around what you want. We touched on this just a second ago, but I'm going to expand on the thought just a little bit now because I want to talk directly to the to the former evangelical and tell you that it's no longer necessary to pray, consult with your deity, or run anything by your pastor. If you're married or have other people in your life that will be affected by the decisions that you make, let them in on your plans. But honestly, what path of self-betterment involves hurting the people that we love? So I don't think I don't think you really have to worry too much about it. But you know, don't upset the apple cart at home too much before you make certain decisions. And if you know it's going to upset the apple cart, then you know don't make the decision until everybody's on board. We kind of learned this about two years ago mm. with the with the whole poly thing. Oh yeah, yeah. We 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 learned this as a couple like two years ago that uh, there are certain things that kind of have to be laid out on the table in constructive ways and dealt with in constructive ways. I'm very very pleased that our relationship has survived the changes that it's gone through. Yeah, and. 
I try not to gravitate toward words like this, but I'm very blessed yeah. to be in the situation that I'm in with you, with our family, and the way things are structured now. It's something that I do not and will never take for granted. Yeah. And once you have all of that sussed out, making actual sustainable and positive resolutions can be a bit easier. Not easy. I didn't say it would be easy, just easier. Change and self-discipline are never easy. You know, I'm not going to suggest specific resolutions for you to make because, well, even though I did say a couple of times resolve to, I'm trying to lay a foundation. I'm not saying this should be your resolution. I'm saying these are the things that you should think about when you're pondering your own resolutions and don't go with just the basic stuff that people throw out there every year and then just literally throw out. To paraphrase a wise princess from a galaxy far, far away, you have to follow your own path. No one can choose it for you. But I would like to take a minute and see if I can help steer your thoughts on this in a direction that leads to making some good decisions. So as you ponder whether or not you're going to make any New Year's resolutions this year, think about this. Post-religious life can be difficult at times. We have a tendency to look back a lot, just like we discussed a few weeks ago. For 2022, I want to issue you this challenge. Resolve to look forward. Better yet, resolve to look inward. I said it last year, but it still holds true. Get to know you better. Because that doesn't take a week or a month or a year. It takes a literal lifetime. And it isn't always easy to see what lies ahead when you're fixated on the rearview mirror. Ask yourself what kinds of things you want to accomplish in 2022. What can you reasonably expect of yourself? And where do you want to be at this time next year? If you don't like your job, you know, look for a new one. There's plenty of them out there right now. Or look for training in an area that you think you would be happy in or even make an impact in, you know, something that you can really settle into. This is why I'm now running a driving school and don't have my eyes set on medical marijuana. Right. Because I figured out what my impact thing would be, what I was really the best at, and decided to settle into that. So think in those terms about the upcoming year and what you want to see happen. And incidentally, a year ago, a driving school wasn't even on my radar. Right. It was something that transpired kind of over the summer and and kind of moved forward from there. So things can drop into your lap. Opportunities can knock that you're not even considering right now. But this is a good starting point. You know, figure out what you're good at or what you'd like to be doing with your time. Because as the saying goes, if you're doing something you love, you'll never work a day in your life. Hmm. Right now, my work is, you know, kind of difficult. It's a little bit stressful, but it's good stress. And it doesn't feel so much like work. It feels like I'm kind of running a steam train toward a good goal. And it feels good. It really does. Here's one that a lot of people struggle with. If you don't like your body, first figure out why. Because this goes to the whole resolution for I'm going to go on a diet or I'm going to go to the gym every single day. Well, maybe that's not the solution to this particular problem. Some reasons for not liking your body are legit, but others not so much. You know, here's the thing. If you know your body is unhealthy, help it get healthy this year. It's a good decision to make. I know from experience that dropping the burden of an entire extra person in weight in and of itself is a surefire way to feel better inside and out. But at the same time, you need to also work on your self-image because it's not all about the size and shape that you are. 
You're worth loving regardless of your size and shape. You're worth knowing, you're worth wanting, and you are somebody's taste regardless of what your body looks like. If changes are necessary for health and wellness reasons, then make them. But make them for you, not so that you can be accepted by others. The latter really doesn't work that well most of the time. I dare say it almost never Mm -hmm. works. Make those decisions because you want to live longer or experience things that might be more difficult without making those kinds of changes. For me, when I decided that I had had enough of being almost 400 pounds, one of my biggest motivators was roller coasters. I wanted to ride roller coasters, but I didn't fit on them. That was the bottom line. I wanted to fit on them. I wanted to ride every single one that I could. And it was good motivation because it wasn't the only thing that I'd set my sights on, but it was one of them. And at least in part, it got me there. So the real question here is, what's your thing? What reward can you see being worth the effort of getting healthy, dropping some pounds, just getting to the point where you not just feel better, where you are better? Because that's important. I'll never sit here and shame somebody for being a certain size But you can't get away from the health ramifications of certain conditions. If you want to live longer, then you deal with things like obesity and smoking and things that kind of take away from the old lifespan. So maybe those are things that you can think about in more specific terms for you. Not just that I'm going to go to the gym or that I'm going to lose weight, but I'm going to do these things because. And that's important. At least to me, that's the most important part is the because. If you don't have that, it's very, very difficult to stick to a resolution like that. So don't stop at the cliche. Add something significant onto it. Now, just at the end here, we're in wind down mode. We're coming to the end of our episode and also the end of another year of Unbound. So just for the last couple of minutes, you know, in true Unbound style, I want to bring it back around to our evangelical friends and say a few things that relate directly to the subject of this show and the things that we try to convey as part of our messaging. This is for the ones that are out or who have gotten Unbound and want to stay Unbound. If you're having trouble leaving your religious life in the past, get some help. Hop on seculartherapy.org and find a licensed secular counselor who can help you navigate the feelings. Freedom From Religion Foundation has some good resources too. And yeah, I get that it's difficult and that it can be so for a variety of reasons, not the least of which being that you spent all that time being told that things like psychotherapy are just a bunch of bunk and they won't help you. I'm here to tell you psychotherapy is not bunk and it will help you. Okay. (laughs) And on the heels of that, let me just give you a little bit more advice. If you're finding it difficult to seek help because you have a grudge against, especially against the religion, you know, we're not even talking about a person. We're talking about the experiences that you've had. If you're harboring grudges over things like the time that you lost, let me tell you, I have a few of those, but over time they've downgraded themselves to more, I guess, low grade peeves. So I guess what I'm trying to say here is don't let your evangelical life or the people who are part of it hang out in your head longer than they deserve. And spoiler alert, they don't deserve to be there at all. They don't deserve to be allowed the foothold they have on your thoughts. Remember first that everything that the people that were in that religion said and did was the result of learned behaviors. They're the product of a corrupt system that keeps things nice and corrupt inside your brain. So 
Keep the focus of your anger. I've said this so many times, but it bears repeating. Keep the focus of your anger where it belongs, on the system that made those people the way that they are. It's perfectly okay to be angry at that. I mean, this whole show is the product of, re of righteous anger at that. But if you're having trouble staying unbound because you miss the social aspects, and that's the bigger one for most people. It's, the, it's, it's one of the biggest reasons why people go back. I'm here to tell you again that there's better stuff going on out there. So maybe this year you could resolve to find people in communities that share your views or at very least have an inclusive attitude toward people regardless of what they believe. See how all this is building on each other, you know, bring some new people into your life, make some new friends. And here is kind of the criteria. I'm trying to give you a framework to work with, not just throw resolutions at you that you can make. If we're talking about your own family, you know, that kind of thing goes a little bit deeper. Not being accepted by them because you dared to grow a brain when it came to your religion is something that happens to a lot of us. And I'm saying it inclusively, but, you know, honestly, I haven't had that much pushback right. from the people in my life. I've been kind of fortunate in that area, but I know that there are a lot of people that are far less so. So, you know what, if that's part of the thing that's holding you back from really, really getting free of this, I hear you. I really do. But the sad truth is that the people that are kind of holding your newfound non-faith over your head are flat out not going to change. And they're never going to accept you if you don't agree with them, go back to church or renounce your sins. Your only options are to live your life on your terms and on the basis of what you know is right and what isn't, or spend the rest of your life role-playing in front of people. I don't know about you, but the idea of living a lie, even part-time, does not appeal to me. Hmm. It's time to try and find your way past that. And it's difficult when it involves your family, I know. And you're sitting there thinking, yeah, you, you don't know because you haven't been through this. Okay, fine, I'll accept that. But it's also necessary that we have our own lives and our own experiences of life that aren't contingent on other people's approval. Even if it's the people that mean the most to us, one thing about love, it works best when it goes both ways. And if it doesn't, then you need to start considering whether or not it's appropriate to start maybe loving those people from a distance just a little bit more. Yeah. And when the anger and the frustration and the regret over the time wasted, the toll it took on your emotions, the lies, the deceptions, or whatever creep in, because these things will, try to shift the focus off of how those things impacted you and onto what this religion does to so many people, what it does every day to our own country and our world, and what it does to families, how it debases and degrades women at every turn, how it lords power over and then abandons the weakest among us, and then has the audacity to label its adherents' behavior as pro-life. You have the opportunity to impart some empathy to people because of what you've been through. And I'm not downplaying what you've been through, but I think that it's, it goes without saying at this point that this thing called evangelicalism is a much bigger problem than the impact that it has on the individual. So from that perspective, I'm not downplaying what you've been through, and I'm not saying don't consider what it's done to you, because it goes right back to laying out those negatives on the table and looking at them in juxtaposition to the positives and figuring out where the happy medium lies. You can take your personal experiences with this and help other people to find their way out, because 
so many other people have been through what we've been through that just knowing that there are other people out there that relate and have gotten out and are happy and are living good lives and don't need religion to be part of the equation, if we're able to communicate that to more people, it's going to have an impact. It's going to change their lives too. You know, you've gone through some positive changes. Pay it forward. Maybe that could be part of your resolution agenda this time around is to just pay forward the things that you've learned and try and help some more people get out of this thing called evangelicalism. And lastly, take all of that stuff and think about it all together, how it impacted you, how everything that you experienced in this religion impacted you, how it impacts the world around you, how it impacts people that you care about. Think about these things and maybe as part of your New Year's resolutions, you can resolve to do something about it. Well, do what? Well, you know, things that we talk about a lot on this show, vote and participate in government, even at the local level, be vocal in debates and have your counter apologetic at the ready and teach these people a thing or two about what being instant in season really means. Be the voice of reason in arguments, especially on social media and be the responsible one in the conversation. You know, the one who actually provides proof of the things that you say. It throws these people so far off when you hit them with actual proofs. And it's kind of fun. It's kind of fun to watch at that point. I'll put that right out there. With all that end of year rambling on the table, I'm sure that there are a few good resolutions to be found somewhere in this conversation. My biggest hope is that your takeaway from this is finding some good resolutions in the stuff that we've talked about and put out on the table tonight. I'm with Dr. Miller on this one. I think that making resolutions and keeping them is a good idea. And I approach this with a little bit of trepidation because I know the cliched kind of nature of this. I get that it seems like a hackneyed old thing that people just do because it's the thing to do at this time of year. But what I say to that is take advantage of the tradition and really just kind of run with it in 2022. You don't have to have it all figured out right now. You don't have to have it all figured out by New Year's. You know, this episode's coming out the day after Christmas. But, you know, as you go through the coming year, think about the things in your life that could be better or how you could be better or the things that you want or the things that you want to achieve. All of the things that we laid out on the table tonight, they're within your ability to both pursue and accomplish so take advantage of the opportunity to do both, because I honestly think that making and keeping good resolutions will lead you through 2022 in a way that sees you happier, more focused, more aware of who you are, and yes, closer than ever to not just getting, but staying unbound. enjoyed this episode of Unbound. Show topics are chosen based on their timeliness, relevance, and social impact. Have suggestions for future topics? Email us at unbound.podcast.network at gmail.com with all your comments and feedback. Please don't forget to like, share, and throw a few five-star ratings our way and follow us on all major social platforms. And don't forget to hit subscribe if you haven't already. Links to our social pages as well as a full list of cited sources in today's episode are listed in the show notes available at our website, getunbound.org. That's get-unbound.org. If you value this resource and would like to see it continue, please consider supporting us on Patreon at the link in the show description. And be sure to check for new updates every Sunday when we'll come together again and take one more step toward getting and staying unbound. Unbound.